Good morning, everyone. It's good to have you here. We set aside this Sunday for Baptism Sunday. We will have five uh, candidates for baptism at the 11 o'clock service. I'll talk more about that in just a little bit later. But we really want to focus in on this topic of baptism. Now, what we know is after the resurrection and, um, and prior to the ascension of Christ into heaven, he commanded his disciples saying, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, many refer to this verse as the Great Commission. And what we basically find here is this is the marching orders of the church. We are to go into all nations, preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, making disciples, and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, what we see just from this one verse is that baptism is a sign that was instituted by Christ himself, and it demonstrates a setting apart of a particular people, that is, disciples in Christ. And, and they are now part of the visible church. From the very beginning of Christianity, baptism has been a sign identifying a person as being part of God's team. And as I've shared before, uh, that it's, baptism is like our team uniform. As uh, I tell the, the kids that, you know, you show up for the first practice with your new uh, soccer team and everybody's wearing their own gear and their own T-shirts and all this type of thing. But then there's a day in just a few weeks that the coach comes with all those uniforms and they're all the same color. They're all the same design because you are part of that team. Well, that's the way it is within the Christian church and baptism. We all are baptized and with water, in the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit, no matter what country, or what decade, or century, or millennium that you live in, that is the team uniform. It's our, our badge, if you would. We see that after Jesus' ascension to the Father, that these Christians, these early Christians, took these marching orders seriously. We see that the faithful followers of Christ, they gathered together in Jerusalem and the Lord filled them with the Holy Spirit and they rushed out into the streets preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the mighty deeds of God through Christ. Now, the, the multitude had gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost. And when they heard all this proclamation going on, they were somewhat bewildered and amazed. So Peter stood up in the middle of the multitude and he began proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And after his first sermon, which was the first sermon in, of the Christian church, he concluded with these words. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now, when the crowd heard this, the Bible tells us, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. For this promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call unto himself. 
The Bible tells us that those same people who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So you can see from the early church that they took the Great Commission seriously. They went out making disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And they continued to do this as they were scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, and even as they scattered into the Roman Empire. Now, we know that the book of Acts is the divinely inspired historical record of the early church. And when you read it, you will discover that people from every background received baptism. Not just these Jewish believers that I just mentioned to you in Acts chapter 2, but we see that believers from a Samaritan background were baptized in Acts chapter 8. We see believers from an Ethiopian background being baptized in, later on in chapter 8. We see believers from a Gentile background being baptized in chapter 10. And then we see a woman by the name of Lydia and her household who come from a Roman background being baptized in Acts chapter 16, and then later on in Acts chapter 16, we see a Roman jailer and his household being baptized as well. Later on in Acts chapter 18, we see a leader of a synagogue and his household were being baptized in Acts chapter 18. And then we see many be, uh, becoming believers out of a pagan and corrupt society in the city of Corinth being baptized and their households. Then lastly, we see in the latter part of Acts chapter 19 that 12 men, excuse me, the beginning part of Acts chapter 19, that 12 men who had been following the teachings of John the Baptist heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and they themselves were baptized. So what's the point? The point is, is the book of Acts is the divinely inspired historical record of the early church. And it shows us that regardless of your background, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you should be baptized, you and your household. Now, that's a lot of information, so let me just pause here to review just for a second. Christian baptism is the application of water in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. And it is a visible sign to demonstrate a setting apart of a particular community of people to God. And these people are part of members of the visible church. Now, baptism has no magical powers. It does not convey salvation. It is not necessary to receive baptism to be saved. We see that clearly with the thief on the cross. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. There wasn't any time to go get him baptized. Baptism is a sign instituted by Christ himself, demonstrating a setting apart of a particular people to God. And these people are part of the visible church. Now, the word baptize comes from the Greek word baptismo, and I know you're always impressed when I use those Greek words. So, but the, the word baptismo is used in four different ways. 
It's used for dipping, pouring, sprinkling, or immersion. And the New Testament doesn't explicitly specify what mode was used in administering baptism in all those texts that I just mentioned to you previously. So it could have been pouring, it could have been dipping, it could have been sprinkling, it could have been immersion. So the point is, therefore, all four methods of baptisms or mode of baptisms are valid. And this morning, we'll have a covenant child baptism and we'll have the dipping. We have a young uh, lady and, and, and an adult who are going to receive baptism by the pouring of the water upon their head as they kneel in front of us. And then we're going to have two who are going to be immersed. So we can see that God's grace is upon these people. Now there's many things that we do as a Christian that are private. We read our Bibles privately. We pray privately. We, we meditate and reflect Privately, Even the Bible tells us that our giving should be done privately. But there's one thing within the Christian faith that is not private. It's public. And that's baptism. Baptism is a public ceremony of God's grace. Baptism is a public confession of faith. It is a public commitment to obedience. It is a public connection to the church and it is a public celebration of God's grace through Christ. And let's just take a moment to examine those four things. First of all, baptism is a public confession of faith. At baptism, we ask questions like, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and have you received Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? And the candidate will say yes. And do we, and then to Christian parents who are bringing their children to receive baptism, covenant baptism, we ask questions like this Do you acknowledge your child's need for the work of salvation in their heart? And do you look in faith to the Lord Jesus for their salvation when on one day they will profess Jesus Christ? As their Lord and Savior. So what are we looking for? We're looking for a public confession of faith. Baptism is also a public commitment to obedience. At baptism, believers are asked questions similar to this. Do you promise on reliance of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live your life as a follower of Christ? And to Christian parents bringing their children for covenant baptism, we ask question like, do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promise and humble reliance upon the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to set before them a godly example, that you will pray with and for them, that you will teach them God's word, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Baptism is also, we see, a connection to the church. As I mentioned before, baptism is a sign identifying a person being set apart on God's team. You're, you're receiving, if you would, God's uniform. 
And we see that the, the Bible teaches that covenant children, youth, and adults are all members of the church. We're part of the visible church. Baptism is kind of like the family blanket that covers all of us. And this is the reason why we ask the congregation at the baptism of a covenant child, children of believers, a question like this. Do you, as, under, as a congregation, undertake the responsibility of assisting the, these parents in the Christian um, nurture of this child? The idea is that, listen, we're in this together. We're the church. This is a public con- uh, connection to the church. And then lastly, we see that baptism is a public celebration of God's grace through Christ. Remember those 3,000 souls that I mentioned to you back in Acts chapter 2 who were baptized in Jerusalem after Peter's preaching? Well, the the text goes on to tell us that these new believers continue to gather together day by day and with gladness and praising God. These people were celebrating God's grace through through Christ. They had Receive salvation, they have received baptism, and now they're celebrating God's grace. And baptism is an opportunity for us all to celebrate. We celebrate what God is doing in other people's lives, and we celebrate what God is doing within our lives. Baptism is a public celebration of God's grace. And we're going to have a celebration after 11 o'clock service and have a light lunch together to be able to celebrate the way that God is working amongst us. Now, I want to really focus in on one narrative this morning, one narrative that would kind of bring these four things together when it comes to baptism. I want to focus on the Philippian jailer for just a moment, an episode that's found in Acts chapter 16. I believe that it pulls these four public things together. We, we see that the Apostle Paul and Silas were beaten and put into jail for preaching the gospel in the city of Philippi. And then the text goes on to say, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praising, praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke, he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, and was about to kill himself, supposing the, the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, we are all here. And he called for the lights, and they rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe upon the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved you and your household. And they spoke the word of God, the word of the Lord to him, together with all those who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them, and they greatly rejoiced, having believed in God with his whole household. That finishes the reading of God's holy 
and inspired word. Now, you talk about having joy in the midst of trials, as we talked about last week. Here we have Paul and Silas have been beaten with rods, severely beaten. The, the scripture tells us that the guards inflicted many blows upon them, and they were thrown into prison. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. You talk about having joy in the midst of trials. God showed up as they were having joy in the midst of trials. He showed up causing a great earthquake, opening all the doors and releasing the prisoners from their shackles. And let me just pause for a second to say that's exactly what we should expect God to do for us when we have joy in the midst of trials. We should expect God to shake things up, open doors that have been locked, and release the shackles that have bound us. Amen? Well, back to the story. We see that when the earthquake rocked the prison, the chains that held Paul and Silas were unfastened, and the doors, they swung open wide. Now, the jailer assumed that the prisoners had all escaped, and knowing Roman law required the death penalty for any guard who lost prisoners that were placed under his custody, he figured, I might as well just do this myself. So he drew his sword and was about ready to take his own life. But Paul cried out, encouraging the sailor to refrain from harming him, reassuring him that all the prisoners were, had not, were there, they had not escaped, and calling in for a torch, the jailer fell down on his knees before Paul and Silas and sir, says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And he said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Here we see a public profession of faith. The, sailor, the, the, the jailer received Christ into his heart and life. Here we see that the answer to that great question that the Holy Spirit asked us, what must you do to be saved? The answer is simple. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So Paul and Silas and now this new believer, they all journeyed to the man's house and there they shared the word of God with his entire household. Here we see that they all believed in Christ and were immediately baptized, he and his household. So what we see here, a public commitment to obedience. And then after the baptism, the entire household, they brought in food. And the scripture says that they rejoiced greatly having believed in God with his whole household. So what do we have here? A public celebration of God's grace. Now, there's only one missing. That is the connection to the church. See, now, we don't know exactly what happened to this Philippian jailer and his family after their conversion and baptism. But what we do know is that Paul's traveling companion, Luke, actually the one that God used to write the book of Acts, that he stayed behind in Philippi as Paul and Silas journeyed on to another city. And what we can assume there is that 
this jailer's household was the core group that the Lord used to establish the church at Philippi. Because we know there was a church at Philippi because we have a New Testament epistle, the book of Philippians. So we see that Luke probably stayed behind to be able to use this core group of believers to establish the church of Philippi. So we see that baptism is a public connection to the church. I think this story of the Philippian jailer is an excellent example that baptism is a confession of faith, a commitment to obedience, the connection to the church, and a public celebration of God's grace. Now, as we conclude this morning, I know the day's uh, sermon was more of a teaching than you would be preaching, but I, I think it's important for us, again, to remind ourselves about the teaching of baptism so it does, we don't lose sight of it. We see that baptism is um, uh, decreasing within the evangelical church. And I think we, it's easy for us to lose sight of it. As we conclude here this morning, of course, I want to challenge you to respond to God's call upon you to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Is God speaking to your heart, asking, and do you have the question, what must I do to be saved? And the answer is simple. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Do it today. And if you are a believer and you've never been baptized, you should get baptized. You can request baptism on the Connect tab, and, or you can mention it to me as you leave today, and we'll follow up with that so that you can truly, truly glorify God in your baptism. I also want to challenge you to consider the baptism of your household or your children I also want you to use baptism, and I know we're not having any here in this service, but I want you to use baptism as an opportunity to examine your own walk in the Lord. You know, we have two sacraments in the church. We have two sacraments that the Lord himself instituted, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Now, the Lord's Supper, we, we take it together. We eat the bread and drink the cup together. But baptism is something that's done to an individual. So how does the whole congregation share in the administration of this sacrament to an individual when they themselves aren't receiving it? I want to offer you some suggestions. Many times, young believers have a lot of passion for Christ. But as we grow older in the Lord, we begin to lose our first love. So we should use the baptism of a new believer as an opportunity for us to repent and renew our passion in Christ. Lord, make me as passionate about you as I was when I was baptized. Lord, do that work in me again, afresh and anew. We should use the baptism of covenant children as an opportunity to examine our own Christian parenting as well as to examine our own household management. We should use the, the baptism of covenant children as an opportunity to examine our own commitment to serve others within the context of the church. 
you know, like the scripture, I, I mean, the question I just asked, you know, we asked, do you as a congregation undertake the responsibility to assist these parents in the Christian nurture of their child? So do you sign up to help with Sunday school? Do you help and in, in volunteer in different ministries of the church to be able to see the, everyone growing in Christ? See, baptism, even though it's administered to one individual, is an opportunity for all of us to really examine our, our own hearts and our own households. And I pray that that's way, the way the Lord will work in us today. Let's really seek the Lord to use baptism as an opportunity for renewal and refreshment in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today thanking you that you have dealt bountifully with us. We thank you, Lord, that you, Lord, have seen our need and that you've sent your son, your, your son, our Lord Jesus, to do what we could never do, to truly, truly obey you in all ways, bringing glory to your name. Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God and that you are Savior of sinners, for which I am foremost, you are Lord, and I accept you, Lord, as my Lord. Come into my life, forgive me of my sins, claim me as a child of God. And as a child of God, Lord, we come to you today asking that you would examine our hearts, examine our passion for you, examine our hearts when it comes to our parenting and our households, Examine our hearts, Lord, when it comes to our commitment to the church and serving others within the body of Christ. Examine us, Lord. Do a work. Refresh us and renew us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.